Hi guys, it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw platform. I'm trying something a little bit different today in terms of the format of my channel versus my podcast uh, slash my platform. I wanted to talk about today's topic really, really badly, and I couldn't decide if I should talk about it on just the podcast or just the YouTube channel. And one of my friends has been telling me that I should try to combine both audio and visual and provide, you know, the audio on the podcast and the video on the YouTube. And I was like, that just sounds like a whole lot. But I'm going to try it out. Y'all let me know how y'all feel about it. Um, hence why I'm holding my microphone. It just makes me a little bit more comfortable. I talk with my hands, which I think is not a thing that a trained media professional is supposed to do. And I'm working on getting better with that for the people who are watching this on my YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, let's dive right in. I typically always start the podcast off with a fashion tip. Lately, I have been wanting to impart a little bit more um, fashion, wisdom, costume, history type stuff a little bit because that's what interests me. That's a part of what this podcast is about, style and pop culture and wellness and whatever else I feel like talking about. So today's fashion tip came um, from Twitter, like it always do. I saw a video, I don't know if you guys follow um, the fashion houses on Instagram, of course I do because that's a little bit what I'm a nerd about, um, different fashion collections and the inspo and all of those things, and on Twitter someone posted a video that was posted to Dior's social media platforms of someone making one of their um, canvas bags, which I would really love to have, it is not too late to get me that for my birthday, um, just as an aside, and the caption was that it's amazing how fashion houses show middle-aged white women making these garments and these bags when we know that that's not what really happens. And the implication there is that these things are made in a sweatshop. So I was like, I don't think that that's true, but let me do a little bit of digging because I like to be as factual as possible. I don't want to be someone who spreads misinformation. So I pulled up on the business of fashion, which is a really good um, outlet about the business of fashion if you want to know more in depth some of the things that are actively happening in the fashion world from the business side. Um, also some social implications, but I will put a link to the story in this episode description. Quick overview is that actually the implication there is that these high-end designer things are made in a sweatshop. Now, the jury is still out about how much of the designer things are actually made in a sweatshop versus the things that are made in factories um, in, you know, Paris or Milan or London or, you know, wherever the places are based. Um, even, you know, American fashion houses, it's, you know, a, a bit of people are calling for more transparency about how exactly things are made. And that's happening across industries. People want more transparency about ethical business practices. Are your employees being treated fairly, being paid a fair wage? Um, do they have reasonable accommodations for disabilities? All of these kinds of things. Fashion is not exempt. People want to know whether or not they are purchasing products that perpetuate 
unfair and unsafe labor, labor practices. What I actually found is that there is this secret, quote unquote, industry within India where there are huge fashion houses, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, etc., who rely on artisanal hand beating and hand sewn um, processes in India. And these big fashion houses kind of don't want people to know that they are sending work or outsourcing work to India because thanks to colonialism, we think of India automatically as just excessively cheap labor and sweatshop type stuff. And to be fair, they do still need to be more transparent about whether or not those artisans are being paid properly, but it's not, it shouldn't be looked at as cheap labor. They're actually incredibly skilled um, men and women, and they have this long tradition of doing this very intricate beating that honestly, a lot of the artisans in the other major fashion, you know, locations in the world don't know how to do. So it's a really specialized craft and a really specialized skill that a lot of fashion houses are, are taking part in, but they aren't letting people know. And I think they aren't letting people know, number one, because it might take away some of the cachet of, you know, having a Dior this or a Gucci that or a Louis Vuitton that if it's known that it's like made in India. Again, thanks to colonialism, that has negative implications and I'm hoping to see more moving forward in the world of fashion that we can have more transparency about those things and that these people can get their props for how skilled they are and we shouldn't just look at India as being this place of just unskilled cheap labor um now I do want to know again like I said whether or not those people are being paid and treated properly however there is skill involved there. There is tradition involved there that should be celebrated and that should be more widely known about. So I just want to share that little bit. Um, like I said, I'm linking to that article in the podcast episode description and in the video episode description if you want to check it out. Just something that I have been um, reading up on, being a little bit more conscious of as a consumer and a lover and a student of fashion. So... That's this week's fashion tip. Read up on some stuff. Get a little more educated. It won't hurt. Um, <laughs> moving right along, the main event, what I want to discuss today. So early last week, I watched Nivea's interview with Candy. Um, I want to say the show was called On That Note. It's a web series that Candy is producing, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, artists talking to artists usually lends some pretty good results. And Nivea, for anyone who somehow does not know, <laughs> Nivea is a black R&B singer from the early aughts. I want to say that Nivea came out in 2004, 2005 when I was, I know I was in high school. I can't remember if she came out my junior or my senior year, but it was such this big deal because she went to a neighboring high school and she was on the song Danger with Mystical. And I remember seeing her and being instantly jealous because I thought she was so gorgeous and was not far from my age. And I was just like, damn, I want to do that. Like, whatever, you know, what are we ever thinking when we're younger? But I remember just thinking she was this very gorgeous girl and she came out with, you know, several other songs that were just like cute. She had some bops 
And she was just, like I said, just that girl for a hot minute. And even I remember her, um, no, she couldn't have come out my junior or my senior year because her second album, I think, came out when I was a freshman in college. And we were all obsessed with that album. And Nivea just kind of disappeared. Um, You know, she was known to be in a relationship with Lil Wayne. And she was also known to have been in a relationship with Dream. And it just, she was one of those people who it felt like she just fell off. And since then, she's done a couple of kind of tell-all style interviews. But this interview with Candy, she really revealed a lot more than I think she has previously. And initially, when I watched this interview, I was like, I don't think that Candy is qualified to do this interview. It felt like she should be doing it with someone who was more well-versed on trauma because she revealed a lot of trauma. And the trauma that she revealed, it was, how do you put it? She she was saying it in a way that was kind of um, skimming over it. Like it wasn't a big deal. And I don't know if that's because she has just made her peace with it and maybe in her mind it's not a big deal anymore but I was like wow this is a lot to unpack right now without someone who is I don't know a medical like a a mental health professional or maybe just someone who's a more seasoned actual journalist however after talking with a couple of my friends I think it's actually best that she had that conversation with Candy because she probably wouldn't have been as comfortable revealing so much about herself, about her past, about her journey, had it not been Candy. But my heart just hurt so much for her that I don't know. I just wanted someone else to be there for her, someone else to comfort her as she was revealing so much about herself. And in a way that it just seemed like, it almost seemed like she wasn't conscious of how big of a deal or how deep it was. And... This interview made me think about two things. Um, Before I go there, uh, trigger warning, I am going to be talking about sexual assault here. So if that's something that you're sensitive to, it's perfectly fine to just tap out of the podcast and the video right now. I will not take it personally. Um, Nivea revealed that when she first got into the industry, number one, she came from a family where both of her parents were... Uh, on drugs, um, you know, actively, and she didn't have a very stable home. She went back and forth from living in Savannah, living in Atlanta, and she got into the music industry at around 14, and she started, quote-unquote, dating her manager, who she isn't sure if he was 20 or 30 years older than her, but he was around her parents' age. And this man was basically grooming her, And she went to live with him in Atlanta, and he was her manager, so, you know, had total control over her career. Um, And then once she got out of that relationship, when she was, like, 17, she started dating another guy who was in his 20s. And I don't remember what the technical age of consent is in Georgia, but I just know for me personally, I'm not comfortable with a girl in high school dating a man in his 20s. That's just not right. (laughs) Regardless of what the law says, that's not right to me. So she then goes on to talk about, um, you know, her relationship with the dream and what that marriage was like. And then also, you know, dating little Wayne and the fact that Wayne kind of pulled her away from her career 
um, you know, she had allegedly one of the last really great record deals and she just wrote to her record label and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, Wayne was like, quit music, come live with me. And she did. And he ended up leaving her and or sending her back to Atlanta when he got back together with Toya. So the back and forth of, you know, living with different family members from Savannah to Atlanta and then living with this pedophile, the sexual predator, who's her manager. And then, you know, going from one man to another man who was not emotionally supportive. It just sounded like she'd gone through a whole, whole lot. And then this eventually led to drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, you know, her eventually getting clean and getting back to a better place. But I was just so struck by similarities, um, in stories that I heard from girls when I was growing up. So again, this interview made me think about two things. Number one, I was reminded, especially when we were all live tweeting during the R. Kelly documentary, that when I was growing up, there were girls who quote unquote dated older guys who were my age. I remember this in middle school. I remember this in high school. And I remember thinking that those girls were nasty. I remember thinking that they were fast. I remember just, you know, being so disgusted by them and being so judgmental of them, like, how could you? And it took me, you know, getting older, learning more, becoming more aware, learning more about how, <clears throat> how patriarchy works and what it actually means for people to be sexual predators beyond what we saw in Law, Law and Order SVU, right? I think that's a lot of our, um, our framework or our understanding was reflected in the fact that we were all constantly watching Law and Order SVU. And I, in my youth, like a lot of the people that I saw defending R. Kelly um, during those documentaries premiering, I thought those girls knew what they were doing. Um, I didn't quite understand what consent meant. And I was really judgmental of those girls. And it took me getting older to understand that they were victims and to also understand that people who prey on young kids, girls and boys, they know exactly who to prey on. That's what it means to be a predator. They know to look for kids who come from unstable homes. They know to look for kids who don't have healthy relationship dynamics with their parents because those people are able to to more easily manipulate them into thinking that what they're doing for them is love. And I have a friend, I think I've spoken about this before, um, who works in a nonprofit that works against human trafficking, human sex trafficking. And the conversation that she and I had was that a lot of people think of sex trafficking in terms of the movie Taken, where people are just getting abducted off of the street and, you know, thrown into a van. And that's what people mostly think of as the sensationalized version of it. And that does happen, but more often than not, most of the cases of human trafficking that happen, it's happening in a much more nuanced way where it's just these people who are preying on kids who they feel like won't be missed and who do not know any better, who do not know what healthy dynamics between adults who care for you and children are supposed to look like. And those are the kids who get lured into sex trafficking. Those are the kids who get lured into this life where they have no control 
because they don't know what love actually looks and feels like, what compassion actually looks and feels like. And that's so much of what I saw in what was happening with Nivea. She had two parents who were abusing drugs and could not provide as stable a life for her as I'm sure she would have desired or as her parents would have desired. And it was easy for this man to come in and convince her that what he was doing for her with her music career was enough um, for him to prove that he loved and cared for her. And that made me incredibly sad because we don't know how many other girls in the music industry endured that, how many women, well, boys and girls outside of the industry have fallen prey to that and still don't know that, oh yeah, when I was in high school, I dated an older guy. They still don't know that they were victims. That's really wild. And then even to say dating, you know, Candy was like, that's just what people did. You know, back in the day, they dated older. That's not dating. That is manipulation. That is predatory behavior that was just accepted. And I think it's important for us to understand that everything that's common is not normal and we have to make that distinction it has never been normal or okay for older men to prey on younger women for older people to prey on young people when there is a severe imbalance of power there now there's a huge difference between you being 30 years old and you dating a man who's 60 you're 30 okay like let's not get carried away because people love to try to you know move the goalpost that's not what we're talking about but if you are a 30 year old man dating a a girl who's 17 there's something not right about that you shouldn't what the hell could you possibly have to talk about? You know, there's no real reason for that outside of you wanting to be able to manipulate someone and you wanting to be able to, you know, um, exercise power over someone. That's what we need to be more clear on. So that part of things made me really um, consciously aware of the fact that I was one of the people who bought into the lack of empathy that we have for victims. We just do not prioritize or the emotional impact of things on black girls. And that continues to make me incredibly sad and incredibly um, discouraged about the state of the world and and just the way that things work for us. Um, You know, being a black woman and caring about black women, it just oftentimes feels like we're just so left out. And Nivea is just one of we don't know how many different stories. So I definitely thought about the fact that there are still adult people who still hold those beliefs, who have absolutely no empathy for women actually being victimized in in this way. And I was reminded of the fact that people had this instant empathy for R. Kelly when they found out that he was a victim of sexual assault, but there was no empathy whatsoever for his victims. It always seems to be when it's a young black girl that she knew what she was doing. There's this adultification of black girls that happens that we somehow always know what we're doing, but men, you know, they perpetuate this belief that men are just these sex-crazed animals who 
are led by their sexual and carnal desires and they never know what they're doing and oh you know poor them they didn't know any better where is the empathy for black girls you know and and I really also hate that people buy into this animalistic belief about men men are not animals no (laughs) that's a really sad sorry ass excuse um But I was just thinking about how when I was younger, it was so easy to lean into the ways in which, um, you know, patriarchy divides, creates dissent within women. And that's how any form of oppression works, right? It's that the powers that be have a really easy go of it convincing the people who they oppress that the other people within that oppressed group are their enemy And I see that right now with this whole conversation that will not die on Twitter about um, this divine femininity in women versus women who are more career driven, as if women who are more career driven are not also feminine. Um, I think that these definitions that are actually constructed by men, not women, but these definitions of of femininity really create dissent within women and it's easy for us to believe that each other you know is the enemy and like oh you're making it harder for me to find mates because you know the city girls and the hot girls of the world are making it hard for the girls who just want to be you know who want to be stay-at-home moms and who want to cook and clean and who want to you know make their man feel like a king and it's like girl we are not going after the same men number one And number two, stop believing that a woman who is career driven does not also want to perform those more traditional feminine roles as well. Um, I spoke, I think, on my last episode about the fact that we need to become more comfortable with the duality of people. Two things can be true at the same time. And I don't know where the American education system or period in the world, we lost that concept, why people are not able to hold two ideas at once in their head that things have to be so very binary there is no secret war between women who want to perform more traditional feminine roles and women who want to be more career driven who may not want to have kids who may not want to get married and those things can coincide there are women like myself who want really impactful careers that matter in the world and also want partnership and also want to have kids Um, don't, I just, I really want to encourage people to not lean into that division because it serves no one. We're, we're not in competition with each other. And I think sometimes that the women who attack, um, you know, more career driven or more quote unquote modern women or whatever, I think they hold this belief that, you know, they've sacrificed so much and they've, you know, practiced so much you know, piety and sexual discipline, so it should be easier for them to find a partner and that the reason that they can't find a partner is because of these other women on the other side of the track. And it's just like, no, honey, again, attack the system, not the individuals, because we're all suffering under capitalism and patriarchy. Anyway, um, moving right along from that, the other thing that this Nivea interview with Candy made me think about is the fact that the hip-hop community still has not had its own Me Too reckoning. 
Nivea never named that man. Um, she even highlighted the fact that at one point she felt like he was trying to pimp her out because one of his friends either attempted to or succeeded at assaulting her. And he tried to use her own sexual desire against her to say like, oh, well, you wanted it. And just that level of manipulation, like, oh my God, you know, um, and I was thinking about the fact that, wow, you went from an unstable home to a home with a predator to dating another older man who was trying to manipulate you to also being in romantic relationships with, you know, famous guys with money who also manipulated you. And it's just like, damn, where have you been able to feel safe in the world and how much that probably is still happening and where, you know, did that manager have other victims? Are there other people who he did this to? And I just hate that in our community, the pain and suffering of black men gets prioritized over that of black women. And it shouldn't be that way. I don't think that there should be an Olympics for it. We shouldn't say that, you know, one is that one pain is worse than the other. But I will say that when we prioritize what happens to black men over what happens to black women, we are, number one, creating a huge vulnerable community um, where a lot of our, you know, black women are suffering um, in and outside of the home. But we're also allowing for black men to terrorize within our community. We have so much empathy for them because of the way they you know, get oppressed and terrorized inside and outside of our community. But that empathy seems to be cut off for black women. And they're allowed to kind of roam free within our community to terrorize and hurt us um, physically and emotionally. And I don't think that there's enough, we don't put enough value on what it means for someone to emotionally abuse you. Um, I was just talking with someone on Twitter the other day about what PTSD even looks like when you have dated someone who is a narcissist, like narcissistic abuse, like PTSD from narcissistic abuse is really, really real. And it impacts you so, so much. And that's another conversation for another day. But I walked away from this interview just kind of wondering, will we ever have a reckoning of our own within the hip hop community, within the black community for the ways in which black girls get abused. Is it ever going to matter? And I walked away from watching that interview just feeling like it won't. And I, I don't want to accept that as the truth. I hope that things eventually change. But as long as we make the pain of black men more important than the pain that black men can cause, we're always going to have this vulnerable community of black girls and women. And I really, really want that to change. So um, that's just some of the things that I was thinking about um, looking for ways to, to move forward in our community and truly just hoping that Nivea is getting the help that she needs in terms of like therapy and actual support that is safe and reliable and consistent and 
I just want us to have more safe spaces in the world. And it makes me sad when I see that we don't provide them for each other. And again, I just want to reiterate that I am not saying that we need to have the oppression Olympics with each other, but I do think that we need to create more space within our community for for intersectionality, for different Black people to be able to express the ways in which within our community we don't feel safe. And that just seems to continue to not happen. Everybody is always told, wait your turn, now isn't the time, whatever, whatever. When will be the time for Black girls, for Black trans women who continue to be harmed at alarming rates, for LGBTQ you know, as, as a whole within the Black community who still get terrorized um, by, you know, cis hetero people. When is it going to be the time for disabled Black people to say, hey, I could really use some help from my community in this way. Everybody is always told, wait your turn. When is it going to be our turn? So that's just some of the things that I have been thinking about. Um, again, I could not decide whether it was better to do have this conversation visually or via audio. So I did both. This is my first time trying this out. It's a little bit more laid back. I'm looking at my laptop over here um, and my notebook in case you guys are wondering why I keep looking over here. I'm not a news anchor. I don't have a whole professional setup. <laughs> so this is a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's different. Let me know what you guys think about it. And I will check in with you guys soon. Be sure to like and comment and subscribe and rate and review if you are listening um, and all of the things. So thank you guys for joining me and we'll talk again soon. Bye.